All right. Uh, dear listeners and dear Evan. Hello, Evan. Dear Noah, hello. How are you, my friend? Welcome to the... I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Congratulations on the one-year anniversary of Let's Not Be Lazy Filmmakers. Oh, that's true. Yeah. This is uh, season two now. Welcome to season, season two. two. Bigger and better and badder. And, and, wait for it, merchandise. We're going to be setting up some merchandise, uh, so watch for that. Hopefully by next episode we'll have something set up where you can go and, and get some really great shirts. I think we're doing shirts, right? Yes, we're going to do t-shirts for now. Okay, cool. And what's so great about the t-shirts, Evan? Well, we have uh, Ben LaChapelle, who is the brilliant autistic painter, illustrator, author in our next forthcoming documentary, uh, Ben's, uh, Ben's Animals, who's put together a lovely uh, portrait of uh, you and I as animals uh, carrying physical right. equipment. So we thought this was such a wonderful uh, illustration that we would put it on shir- shirts and make it available to our loyal listening audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. All 15 of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, that's okay. Or like 20. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So, okay. Yes. That's good. All right. Yeah. So, and exciting, uh, moving exciting, on. Exciting, get, exciting guests in the future as well, assuming they allow us to leave the right. podcast. Assuming they allow us to leave their podcast on. <laughs> what are you talking about, Evan? Did somebody just, make us take a podcast down? Well, we just we have to make sure that you know that our that our that our that our guests. Uh, Careful very, what you say, uh, Evan. <laughs> we have to make sure that our guests are. Uh, or have filtered, have done some self self filtering, so that they, yeah. uh, you know, that they they don't have regrets about what they talk about. That's all. Right, that's a good yeah. point. We'll have a little disclaimer, and maybe something they have to sign in the future. Yes, yes, yes. We're not going to mention any names. No, no. <laughs> right, because a few people are going to think that this is talking about them. At least they're two. Wonderful, they're wonderful people, and it's always our. Uh, object our objective to protect them but uh, it does place a little bit of stress on the broadcast and on the uh, post-production process of the podcast that's right anyway let's uh let's move on to (laughs) introducing this week's podcast the first podcast of 2024 very exciting here we go happy new year uh, producing is a pretty hard job evan wouldn't you think I think it's the most difficult job. I was far more ask difficult you if it than was the most difficult. Oh, it's far more difficult than the job of the director. There's a reason why at the Academy Awards, the direct, the producer, excuse me, goes up to accept the award for best film. Unless uh, you're at Cannes in France. So, in well, that case, yes, but but the work of the producer. I mean, the the director, the role of the director is really the the. Well, there's development. There's the writing aspect of it some of the time, but there's really just the, the managing of the creative. There's really the uh, the managing of the creative aspect of the film, whereas the producer mm-hmm. really comes in and works uh, sometimes before there's even a script and works throughout the post-production, production, and post-production process. And then even beyond that, into the marketing process and the sales process. And I didn't even in, in, in mention that during the production con- uh, process, there was negotiating there is insurance there is travel there is being on the line for all the financial responsibility of the film so i would say that Mm -hmm. as someone who's done both that i find producing to be a far far more challenging and more stressful job and on that note let's uh introduce our podcast guests anya jamila and uh patrick sad we're going to talk about uh producing being producers here we go First things first, welcome to the podcast, and um, uh, maybe you guys uh, just want to introduce yourselves and tell me how did you get to become producers, because you're both producers now, right? That's right. Patrick, since you spoke (laughs) first, you can go first. Uh, Oh, okay. Well, uh, This is Patrick Saad. Yeah, this is Patrick Saad. I'm a longtime friend of uh, Noah. Can I say Mm -hmm. that? 
yeah of course <laughs> um i've actually um when did i start uh everything started when I, I i fell in love with you know uh editing because i i started uh, learning this in school as a, a university program that was computer science and computation arts but uh once i had a class in very technical class where we learned how to use after effects and premiere i it kind of opened my eyes to wow this is really cool and even before that um interesting fact because i i used to like drawing but um like i would see something i would want to imitate it i would want to recreate it and then you know get my creative i i guess out and so uh, the editing was a way for me to really jump i guess quickly into that uh, things and i loved also like the whole when i was a younger teen i guess um I like the the 3D animations, the games, and I wanted to do games and all these things. So it was like kind of wanting to go into film and, and I guess making things that are creative um, mm -hmm. that pushed me eventually to do things that was closer to video and film production. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to go into all the details of my life, but essentially that's how I started. Um, I, I went to... Um, Eventually, I started working on my own business doing video production while I had a job as a web designer, mm -hmm. um, because that was I studied it primarily. And uh, eventually I met Anya um, because I, I started doing uh, some videos and I, I, I was considering starting to do weddings and I had started working on some weddings, but I wanted to really like first uh, get more experience because I always felt like, oh, you know, imposter syndrome, maybe I'm not the who I should be. Um, and at the same time, I wanted to, uh, you know, get some gigs going on. So Anya had like this beautiful uh, company that uh, called Love Films. And I'm, I'm not I'm not going to jump to you, Anya, but essentially I'm just <laughs> introducing how I got to you. Uh, and then uh, she basically um, was looking for, for um, I, I guess I, I jumped in. I'm going to let you talk about how my introduction was with you. This was all but in I Montreal, right? This, 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 yeah, Patrick, yeah, yeah. Montreal. Patrick, you're based in Montreal, right? Yes, sorry. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that so that people just, listening on the podcast will know. A little context. Yeah, yeah. Montreal, Montreal, Canada. Montreal, Canada, exactly. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, it was always here. Uh, we did travel to do some productions, but mainly here. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we started this uh, connection, me and Anya at the time, and that's how we became colleagues and friends um, and uh, continued on doing weddings and then uh, promotional videos and corporate videos. And Anya started doing that as well. And I basically wanted to get into film and doing these side projects um and uh, one day um, i heard about this program at linis which uh, is l'institut national de l'image du son for uh, mm -hmm. the one speaking french um which was a produced producer uh, program for six months and it's uh it was like um partially funded by netflix so i i tried i i got interviewed to get in because it's not an easy process you still have to pass and I got, uh, they accepted me. And so I did that um, just a week. I started this a week after my second son was born. Mm -hmm. That's important information that. to keep. Yeah. And uh, and that was an intense six, seven months of, you know, creating films, actual films, uh, well, uh, web short web series, uh, docu short documentaries and a variety show that we did. And uh, that was, uh, and again, I had this imposter syndrome, which I wanted to do more films and I wanted, and I, I had this, all these skill sets, which I feel like I was, you know, touching the producing world, but I, I wasn't sure if I was, you know, a producer and, uh, you know, you could call me a producer. And so that helped me um, uh, sort of remove that uh, syndrome, I think, to really, okay, I can do this and I really enjoy this and this is my place. And yeah. eventually I started doing that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And Anya, how, what's your story? How did you arrive? Hi, um, can you hear me? Yep. Awesome. How did it start for me? I think it's, I, I live, first of all, I don't live in Montreal anymore. Mm. I'm in the Niagara region, so in Ontario, Canada. It's beautiful behind you. It's beautiful. You can see what's going on behind you. It's quite lovely there. Thank wow. you. Thank you. And we have beautiful lakes, all the great lakes, not all of them, but Fort Erie, like Erie, Erie Lake. Uh, Lake Erie and Ontario Lake and Buffalo, New York is 15 minutes away from my home. So it's a different landscape than when I met with Patrick. But what it all started for me, it was even a more different landscape because I'm from, uh, I'm half Moroccan, half Romanian. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in Morocco. And that's where my journey started when I was 
a teenager, I wanted to do music. So I started singing um, on various stages in Morocco, even in Romania. But I always had a love for words and also images. I was also doing photography at the same time. And I was doing all these slideshows, which I know today is like easy to do. But back then it was really hard because you had to time the picture with the sound. And it was like, you would spend six hours doing a slideshow. But then when I would show it to people, they would be like emotional and they would be like, oh, you told us a story. So I was like, okay, so maybe I can tell a story not only by singing, but also by using pictures. And that's when it just clicked for me. I was like, I think I just need to mix the two, the sound and the visuals and tell stories. Um, So I went to university in uh, film studies in Montreal at University of Montreal. Oh, wait, you went from Morocco to Montreal? Yes, from Morocco to first school. I first started in linguistics, uh, which was fun, but not me. So I was looking for what's my artistic language. Hmm. And that's how I ended up doing film studies, studying film studies. And then I also went and did some workshops in Paris with surrealistic um, film um, and then came back and went to Denise, like... uh, Patrick, I took a few workshops. I think one of my most precious one is one that I did with Lea Poole, which is uh, who is a big director uh, okay. in Canada. And she was doing actor directing. I think that was in 2014 or something like that. And in so if I go back in 2012, that's when I started my company. And that's when Patrick reached out to me and he was like, hey, I would like to have like some experience. I like what you do. Do you want me on your gig? I'm like, OK, but I don't have money. <laughs> so if you're coming, it's just like have fun and don't disturb and come. And that's how we met. And we actually I love working with him. It was really fun. And he gave like his 300 percent on set. He was yeah. very humble all the time. Patrick is the most humble person I know, but he has so many qualities and so many artistic and creative um, qualities. And that's how our collaboration started. Then we, I started calling, hey, do you have time for this gig? Do you have time? And then I started paying him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he didn't uh, work for 10 years for free or whatever. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then uh, I think our journey kind of, we kind of evolved on parallel and we would intersect from time to time. Mm-hmm. But we kind of started with wedding videos and then we did corporate videos and then I went into producing I think you became a parent back then so you were like more in your parental Mm -hmm. phase I had already had my son when I started the company um and then one day you said I think I'm interested in producing I was like oh my god don't go into production it's horrible (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I became a producer maybe in 2018 um out of necessity so not what by do you mean passion. out of necessity what, what does that mean so we had like all these stories that we wanted to tell that were important to us but no producer thought hmm. they were interesting and I guess because the stories that we wanted to tell were stories that are putting diversity at the forefront as individuals not as community not as communities and without any type of stereotypes basically we wanted the person in the story to be could have been swapped for almost any uh, diverse background, hmm. um, and nobody would say yes. So eventually, with Josiane uh, Blanc, who is my business partner and creative partner, we applied for a talent to watch a talent film talent to watch program, and we got in. And that's how I became a producer for many other shows after that, or several other shows after that. Uh, but also not forgetting that I was an artist. So it was uh, a battle for me as to when do I give space for the voices that I think need a platform? And when do I give, give space to my voice as a creator, um, as a director and writer? So I think this year is when I found the most um, balance because um, I'm writing two feature films right now that are supported by Telefilm. Plus we just wrapped production of Hotel Beirut, which I wrote and directed with Josiane Blanc. So we're both on them. And uh, 
Patrick was also our uh, first of all, it's inspired by his story, his real story, wow, which yeah, is a more. wonderful, wonderful story. So I think I'm going to let Patrick tell you about mm -hmm. his story. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Hotel Beirut uh, will essentially to to tell you, well, how it started the project, maybe, or sure. in terms of how uh, what the idea is well essentially the, the project itself um two years ago was it that uh, yeah you Patrick, i feel me? like ever since i've known you you've wanted to tell some sort of a story like like this you've well you've talked I, to I me had, about it before yeah yeah so so it was it was different what i was what i wanted to tell was a bit different um because i had uh, i still it's something i'm i'm i have in the i guess in the back of uh, back burners that the word because because what's your story you you were you lived in lebanon for the first three years of yeah. your life uh for about four and a half five four years and a half. i can't remember when exactly but essentially yeah uh we we were in lebanon there was a civil war back in the mm -hmm. 70s 80s and early 90s i think um and so my parents um you know after a lot of you know there's civil war is not something you want to live in but essentially that that uh, was a there was a decision factor that led my parents to leave Lebanon um and we went the we basically escaped the, the the war like it happened a few times over there and so at that point uh my um we we fled through uh, a boat and we went to um I forgot the name Cyprus, yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, essentially, we we went from there, and then we we flew to the states, and then from the states, we kind of walked in, uh, not walked in, but drove in. Okay, <laughs> drove in there. But at the time, there was no uh, like you know really checkups. Like if you we there is like there's a right. what do you call it Ladwan. Um, the, the customs. The customs, yeah, the customs are there. But you know, if you come in, uh, they don't really have the same checks that they do now. So essentially, yeah. you used we, to just we have in. to flash your driver's license, and they'd let you through. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's part of the story that we're telling that oh, okay. in the Hotel Beirut. Yeah. And actually, we did some research, and we talked to a um, a professor mm -hmm. of uh, Lebanese history in Canada, which is quite old, actually. It's more than 100 years old. Wow. Um, but there were like different phases of immigration. And in the 70s, 80s, there was a tacit rule that the custom agents knew where the families were coming from. And it was, um, they would not ask more questions because they knew they were refugees. Really? But there was no supporting law, so it was kind of a, a rule where okay. they would close their eyes, and people thought, "Oh my God, they, I just managed to yeah. to to get in <laughs> without them noticing." And it's not true; they knew everything. They were just it was decided that they wouldn't ask too many questions, and they would let people and families. Was that in. just like a compassionate thing? Yes, that's really nice, actually. Yeah. yeah. And not only from Lebanon, from several countries in mm -hmm. what we call um, Lorient, um, the Moyen Orient. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so not a lot of people know that. But it's really interesting. I, I didn't. I didn't even know that. That's, yeah. that's a good point because in my head, I mean, I was a kid too. Like I can't really relate to how I was thinking. But at the time, uh, but my even my parents, you know, they didn't know exactly how things were going. They just, you know they knew this was a, a safe place to be and there was some people there that uh, we knew as well uh, that lived in uh, in the country so we went sort of you know without you know going through the, the regular route to go through it um and yeah we we uh, hotel beirut is is that sort of a bit inspired by that story where um we came in uh we settled um and our our house uh, our home became uh the home of uh a lot of the family and even other people that would come in that wanted to find refuge 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 mm -hmm. yeah. until they um they settled to their own place so it's kind of like what uh i, I don't know i don't want to compare it this way but you know how a lot of people came first to park x the area where a lot of immigrants came in and they they like we didn't stay there in in montreal and park x montreal but essentially it's the, the same idea we had that sort of you know um people had a need and my my parents figured you know they, they want to help 
And so that's uh, that's where I think the inspiration comes from, essentially, because that's you know, um, cool. and that's what I, I had given because Anya was was basically had a, a project she wants to 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 look into. I think was with this Radio Canada, which is just the French version of CBC. And so there was uh, an opening for for a potential you know to get a project in. And so she said, "Hey, um, do you have anything that you would want to?" Uh, tell us a story and I'm like um at first I'm like uh, I didn't think too much about it and then I'm like I don't know maybe it could be interesting I don't remember how this came about but the idea of you know uh talking about our family arrival and and uh, how we hosted these people um into our home these family members and these these friends into our home and so that became the base of it and I she said okay well, let me uh uh, short synopsises, uh, eight synopsises or something for a series. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, at the time, I didn't have everything in my knowledge to, you know. So I asked around people. I'm like, hey, uh, my, my 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 siblings, my parents, my cousins, uh, my aunts and uncles, uh, grandma. I'm like, I'm asking everybody, like, I have some ideas of what happened, but, you know, fill me in. And then um, and then I sent that to uh, Anya and her and Josiane, uh, uh her business partner they looked into it and they uh they really liked it they saw potential and uh, then they moved the project they took it they embraced it they they brought it to a level that i was like blown away by because uh they they co-wrote it um they they directed it and uh, and even co-produced it basically they, 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 it's i mean I couldn't have asked anybody. I couldn't have asked anybody else to do this because I don't know. Um, I was always always already inspired by their work, from what they were doing, and uh, I knew they were, I was in good hands. I knew you know they were uh, excellent uh, filmmakers, and so I just figured this was the right thing to do because it's not easy. You think about you know you tell the story to somebody and and then they decide to do something about it, mm -hmm. um, and I. You know, so, Anya, where, where, where is the series of where is the series available? Where can people watch it? Well, first of all, you're gonna make me cry, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you for for saying that. And I just want to say that it was really, 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 really important for us that this story, despite us adding to it, creating characters that are like fictional characters, although they're inspired by real characters, it was always like, with does it respect and honor? Patrick's story and his family's story and what they're all about, about the solidarity. And what was wonderful about this project is that it talks about a Lebanese family in the 1980s, 1989 to be precise, but our crew and our cast and our team is very diverse mm -hmm. and everyone recognized their families in really? that story mm -hmm. so we had chilean people haitian people um from uh Afrique people so and everybody was like oh my god we were doing that there was never a place in our home because we would welcome family when we arrived and it's it's really a canadian story mm -hmm. it's yes it's a lebanese story yes it's patrick's story but it's representative of a big story of Canada, a story of immigration where people help each other and something that was really important for patrick as well was to tell the story of the immigrating family, but also the hosting family, which is the Canadian uh, predominantly white society. Because uh, I remember Patrick was saying, a successful immigration story is not on, does not only come from the people who come, but also the people who welcome. Really? And uh. despite the fact that they obviously there is discrimination and there is racism but it's not everyone and it's still like everybody's making effort and we wanted to portray that in the story that there there is an evolution there's a narrative arc even for the people who are not Lebanese uh, and who are discovering the culture there's, there's a universality to the message yes absolutely and where will it be well right now we just dropped production <laughs> and we're gonna go we're starting editing uh, very soon in a few days uh, and that it will be available on TFO, which is the French um, television in Ontario, which is the equivalent of GVO, the English one, but mm -hmm. the French. Um, and we're, it's going to be distributed. So hopefully all over the world. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, guys. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you so much.
Yeah. <laughs> now, now that it's over, do you feel do you feel relieved or are you sad? I am so sad. <laughs> it was the most euphoric experience of my life, and I think uh, Patrick came a few times, and I'm so happy. Uh, Patrick was like, Anya, do you think we could have a cameo cameo appearance for my parents, who are the real characters, oh, the real? <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, Patrick, that's such a great idea. And we had cameo scenes, that's two great. cameo scenes with them. With um, Patrick's parents? Yeah. With Patrick's parents. <laughs> Patrick, how did your parents like that? Did they enjoy it? Oh, they loved it. They loved my dad. Okay. The next the next day, he came to see ETS, and he's like... Um, I want an agent. I want an agent. <laughs> how do I... No, he's like, how, how do we do more of this? <laughs> exactly. I'm like... Like sure, like you get paid to, to to have fun and eat great food and talk to people that are pretend to be like, yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, paid to be yourself. What could be exactly? Better? Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was so so such an emotional thing to have them on set. Uh, not only for me and the creators, but even like the crew, because they knew everybody. This is what I find so wonderful about our industry is that this story started with a family story became Josiane and I's story as we were and Bernard there's a third writer mm -hmm. also that brought so much to the table um so it became our story and the producers the co-producers so Daniela Mujica and Eric Canago it became our story the five of us on top of Patrick and his family and then we go into production everybody reads the script so many times and it becomes every single person on set story. And it's so magical. So when the parents came, I think everybody was so happy and emotional about it because they were the real characters that we worked so hard to dress them, to make them up, to place them, to artistically direct. And, and then we have the real people. And also Patrick came and we have mm -hmm. um, little Elias, who is... Um, uh, playing your role basically mm -hmm. or a version of who you were when you were a kid and we had like we call him in the series his name is Fadi so like we have the real Fadi and the Fadi of the series it's, it's very it's a very cool it's a very beautiful and cool experience yeah it sounds like it was like a, a very meaningful project are you guys at the stage in your career where you only work on stuff that you enjoy hmm I'm, I can answer that I'm still basically because I, I think the quick answer is, is almost yes um, for me because I still do things to, I guess, uh, you know, I do corp, I do promotional videos and I do things that I like doing, but I want to do more fiction. Like I want to do more documentaries and fiction, but I still do things that, you know, pay, um, pay the bills quicker i guess at, the, at this point so in in that way i have to kind of sometimes do this but i enjoy also what i'm selecting it's a little bit like you know i want to do fiction but i still stick to some things that are um that require a shorter time span to to produce and to develop um i guess the short answer is yes and no <laughs> for me <laughs> Yeah, for me, since I'm the producer, <laughs> I only choose the project that I like, but I also learned a lesson is that sometimes we have the impression that the producer is the big boss and the big boss is the broadcaster or the distributor, if it's a, a film, um, but more for TV, it's more the broadcaster. So a lot of the time uh, they will have a lot to say and you're trying to please them and we're trying to please them too much. So you're forgetting yourself mm, okay and it doesn't get the green light because it's not an authentic project anymore so i think it's a lesson that, yes i'm working on things that i like but also i have to work on things that i like otherwise they're not going to get green light because green lit because they're not authentic they don't come from that powerful passionate place um so as a producer you have to i don't think most people understand uh, what a producer does um, mm. As someone who's a producer and a director, yeah, Evan is a director, but he's had to do. He's had to produce well, how many films now? That's a that's a therapy a that's a therapy session in itself. <laughs> but um, I wanted to, and that's yeah, that's a, that's my internal conflict because I hate producing, but I have to. Um, oh. So I don't think anybody knows what the producer does. So it'd be very important, I think, for you to explain for the explain to the viewers because people think, oh, the producer, it sounds boring. But the producer, when the when the film wins the Academy Award, it's the producer who accepts the the the, the award for a reason. So please explain 
like what a producer does for people that have no idea. Please. <laughs> uh, Patrick, do you want to go with the, the definition? Uh, I mean, I can tell you that the producer, um, basically for me, the idea, the producer has not only the role of, um, I guess, uh, overseeing the, the the project and basically putting together uh, the crew, putting together the the everybody that works on the production, but it's also somebody that can bring in his uh, his vision to the project. I don't think a producer. Well, uh, you know what? I'll let you explain to it, and then I'll add my point because I have a, a you know I have something and, that I, I yeah. Anya, you brought up a good point earlier, which is that you have to the you have to you're navigating the director but you're also or you are the director and the producer because you're working with the commissioning producer and that's a big deal also right and, you're, and when you're doing fiction there's that anyway take us through a little there's the whole admin part of it which is nobody everybody hates and no one talks about and the admin part ends up being probably about 90 percent of it actually so yeah. just take us through like in detail a little bit about what what a producer does if you can Sure, I'm going to try. The producer is like the <laughs> toughest job yeah. to describe. But what I would say is that, um, in my opinion, the producer is the most important person of a project. Basically, they are the ones who will find the story or commission or have an idea and hire a team to do it. They are the people who take all the risks. When everybody's paid, the producer is not paid, despite what people think. Hmm. Producers That's all back-ended. It's all back-ended. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. So the producers yeah. take all the risks. They have to make sure that the project, which was a beautiful, I always say a beautiful boat at the beginning and was promised to the broadcaster who was going to give money, is going to stay a boat at the end of production, which is very hard to do. So you need to hire the right people, uh, the right director to also navigate all the conversations between the broadcaster and the creative team and the uh, technical teams. You also need to be aware of the legalities of the accounting. You're basically responsible of everything. It's basically the big boss of a production that has in his hands or her hands in every single department that knows about every single department that is respected, that is inspiring, that knows how to talk to the director. The director trusts the producer, is the biggest fan of the director. It's such a complex role. And it's honestly, I find it so sad that people view the producers as people that bring the money or shuffle money, which has nothing to do with that. It's basically taking one person, giving them a big project and telling them, make it happen. And mm -hmm. they make it happen on every single corner of the production. It's And creatively as well, and technically, an admin, they need to have a good team behind them. Uh, but there's so much risks as well involved. They basically take all the risks. Um, I know in Cannes, when a price is given, a Palme d'Or, the producers are not even allowed to go on the stage. That's really, which, it's embarrassing. Which is, it's, it's, yeah, really, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's yeah, really no. bad. I, th I think also that I don't even think that directors understand what producers do. Actually, I would I'll argue that, especially mm -hmm. a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of directors don't even understand. And you end up a lot of the job. You what, what you didn't mention, which I would, I would just add, is that you're also a psychologist. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, totally. You are. You are like <laughs> pulled. People. You're pulled on. Yeah, everything. you're managing personalities extensively. And you have to do it in the shadow. Mm -hmm. And I know some great producers who are never thanked by their teams. And I'm like, oh my God, I know how the 20 hours they worked every single day for the past like two years um, and they don't even get recognition. And then I ask them, but we didn't get recognition. It's okay, we're okay being in the shadows. It's those magical beings that just make it happen. So those, so those projects that you, so those projects that you love, that you say that you wanna do, like the Hotel Beirut, you wanna do it. So what's next? So take me, I think, you know, very few people make a living making film and documentary. It's minuscule. It used to be like 10% people made a living doing docs specifically. And now it's even less with, with what's happening with terrestrial broadcasters. But I'd like to know how you take it. What happens? What are the, the, the fine points of a film that you or an idea that you love? The pitching. Pro, what do you do? How does it get to how does it get to the point of where it's getting financed? That's an interesting, I think, place. A lot of people don't know about either. Yeah. And that's also the producer's job. Yes. So yeah. 
which is obviously not easy to find these big amounts of money, these big sums. And people are like, oh, but I could do this with 25K. I'm like, no, when you have 40 people working mm -hmm. on the production, everybody needs to pay their bills. So you need to pay every single one plus the rent the gear plus buy clothes and buy the decor and lawyers and insurance and all that. So it's a lot of money that the producer has to find. Basically, when there's an idea uh, that we like, we create, depending if it's a film or a series, it's not exactly the same presentation products, but it, they're similar. I like to call them a pitch deck. So basically uh, describing the project, the episodes or the synopsis of the story, who are the characters, how much will it cost, who are your actors that you've already selected or talked to or have interest from. So you, you're creating that document and then you start knocking on doors. Even that is like a ton of work. The pitch it deck is a huge amount of work, yeah, especially so it's, Yeah, it's. I would say it's a year development. Wow. Usually it's around a year between one and two years, depending on it's a series or a film. It's a year of development, just developing the project, just be making sure it's the best it can but, be before it's presented. And yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but are you are you being paid in that year? Have you found development yet? Or sometime, like, isn't there, if that's the case, you're doing it for a year. I mean, are you even at that point looking for initial development? There's a pre-pre-pitch deck, right? What's right? Yeah. If you're taking a year, you got to justify your time. So exactly. There is a lot of work that is done without being paid, okay. but we do apply for development. So for example, the two feature films or even the series that were greenlit, they had development first. So we do ask for development, but you still need to present a document. Although it's not at, it's not a pilot, it's not at, you don't have a script yet, but you still have like the synopsis and what's going on and the characters and sometimes the actors that you want to hire. So you have some work that you're doing. And as a company, a production company, you have what we call like the corporate overhead. And that money is to support the development of other projects. And usually you have like five to 10 projects in development while you're producing other shows. Mm. And those are require a lot of time. It's my favorite part. Development is my favorite part because everything and anything is possible. The story can go anywhere. It's it's beautiful. We need, we need, I need a version of you. I need, yeah. a, I need a, we need a version of you. <laughs> Which, you know, I you know, love yeah. development. It's so much fun. And it's to work and create. We're creating something. We're giving birth to something uh, together. Um, then you start knocking on doors. In Canada, you have public financing, um, mainly. 99% of financing is public. So you're going to knock on, if it's a TV show, for example, you're going to knock on the broadcasters first. If you have an interest from them, they're going to write a letter. You're going to go to CMF, so to Canadian Media Fund. Then you have other entities that can come in. It depends, like, a development or production. So you have the Council for the Arts, but those are in competition with CMF, so you can't have both. Uh, you have also telefilm um, and you have programs. So you have programs for indigenous people, racialized people, emerging people. So you have a lot of programs, you have to know them. They have new programs every four, five, six months. So you have to stay aware of everything that's happening. Do you, do, you, do you have the calendar on your wall with like every 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 date, every delivery, every date deadline and is it? Not on the wall, but I, of course I do have one. I have one nationally and internationally. Yeah. Wow. So I know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and you can't be everywhere. You can't be mm -hmm. everywhere, but you have to know at least that it's happening and make the conscious decision that you're not going to apply for that fund right now because you're sleep deprived and <laughs> you need to, <laughs> to become a human again. But um, in Canada, it's mainly public. And then you have the tax credits, the tax credits, is, which is a big and huge thing and beautiful thing in Canada. And every province has their own rules. Um, and then you have the federal tax credits as well, which help production of us. You started in what year did you start? You started in 2010, 2011? You, you, no, but you started making- My company. 2018? 2012. My company was 2012, but like film and TV, 2018. So have you been making a, have you been making a steady living in the last five years? Six years? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> money comes in. <laughs> I don't know how long money stays right. in my bank account because yeah. usually it's used for developing a, a company. So although my company exists since 2012, I always say the first three years of company are just like you developing and you're not making money. So if we think about 2018, I should start making money now. But the first three years, it's like you just vow to be poor. And you have to be okay with that. Wow. Uh, I, 
but also, I mean, um, this industry is, um, the projects are bigger than you. It's not a job. It's really a passion. So you cannot stay in the industry unless you're truly passionate because yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, you would start crying, I yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a therapy session. <laughs> but, um, so I, I noticed uh, with, with both of you that like, you know, when I when I first started, I had a, I had a you mentioned I know you mentioned corporate overhead, such a dangerous word. Um, mm. But I see both of you working from home now. There was a time when when we would we would all have to have offices, right, and have have meetings, and you'd have whether it was actors or uh, you know other film people come and meet. Now it's like we're all working, we're all doing everything virtually, right? So it, it helps a lot that we're not paying like three thousand dollars a month in corporate overhead, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. In terms of where we're, where we're meeting places and you know offices and yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I thought that was, yeah, sorry, that was a kind of a question. I, well, you've been through that. You've been through. Yeah, that's a nightmare. So, thousands of. I dollars think that bleeding. that that fits into the therapy session. <laughs> that's what that's what we're <laughs> but, doing. But you you know you've been doing this for both of you have been doing it for several years. So you see the difference now, right? It's like it's all virtual and people are just comfortable with that. No one's getting together really, or it's coffee shop. People are cutting editing in coffee shops now and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess um, like most like most uh, people now, you know, with the whole um, cloud uh, access to to things, you you can do this, and you it's just I find personally I find meeting uh, together in a in a room, um, I get more creative, I get more. That's me. I just get the. Uh, I think that's true I feel for like, everybody. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, it, it it makes you feel a little bit more like you know. And then ideas, and that's brainstorming, I think, helps a lot uh, in these these situations. But it does, you know, when you have, especially when you have kids, uh, in my case, mm -hmm. I have two young kids and I I have uh, I have to save time that hour that I'm spending traveling, like I can do something productive um, and, and get things going. Yeah, I agree. I think there are related costs to also working virtual. So you have all these tools that you now have to pay and they became mm -hmm. more and more expensive. For me, it works perfectly because I'm, I love people and I love working with people, but I'm also very, um, uh, how would you say solitaire? Like, solitary. Like, solitary. Yeah. Solitary. I'm a very solitary person. So it works because I can really get things done, but we also have to meet, um, for example, with our team, we at least meet once a month, uh, maybe twice a month. We have a lot of markets and that's, that is not the same being doing it virtually so we've done it virtually during covid so banff and all the industry markets but it doesn't replace the human connection so for example my next one it would be berlin in february and i'm super excited i can't wait to go and meet with producers with creatives and distributors and it's just it's a human connection and it's something that cannot be uh reproduced online so i'm happy that we have the virtual but also that there is a need for us to connect humanly and physically. Um, so when you so when you do projects, guys, or when you do so, you finished the production and um, the broadcasters licensed it in Canada. Who takes care of your distribution outside of like French Canada, for instance, on Hôtel Beirut? Like who's taking? Who does? You, are you because we get basically screwed by by distributors. Distributors. Uh -huh. uh, so what what do you do when it comes to distribution to make that extra bit of cash outside of the the territory that's been licensed? Distribution is a big, scary subject. Uh, we've had one distributor so far. Um, I don't know how to say this. We made, we did all the job, basically. And then they get their percentage. I, I hear good reviews about distributors and bad. We have a new distributor on our feature film that's coming out in April. Uh, we've never worked with them, but we can't wait to see how they the market and sell the 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 documentary the feature documentary mm -hmm. uh for hotel beirut we're in conversation with the lebanese uh international distributor uh so we'll see where that goes at this point uh to be fully honest distribution for us has been more a question of visibility than making money uh we don't really make money with it uh but we're happy that because we're we care so much about the story that we're telling we're so happy that people are watching them and that the messages that we're sharing in the shows are viewed or seen by the people that we want to reach. 
So I think for me, so distribution is not yet a, a lucrative thing. It's just a philosophical um, step at the moment. Maybe one day. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're in Canada. I don't know if that's would you, possible. Would you, have you ever dabbled in self-distributing? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. We did all the festival routes for our first series and Siva Menu, Hoptown. Uh, we did it ourselves. It, it worked well. It was a lot of job, but we yeah. we won maybe twenty five international awards. Uh, so it was. But so that's amazing. So in, in just distributing it to film festivals, did you just send it? Were you just applying, or did you have it in with some of the festivals? Were you just randomly applying? Did you call them and harass them. Yeah. <laughs> no. So for us, because it was our first season and our first project, we didn't know what we were doing. So we're just like applying online. But I know that. Tier A festivals, that's not how deals are done. They're done around a table with distributors that they know, that they mm. trust. They usually know about the film before it's even produced. At the development stage, when they go have a lunch, they're like, what are you working on? What are you working on right now? Well, eating your steak, you're like, well, I'm working on this feature film and it talks about this project. And the year after, they talk about it again and again. So when the film comes out, the anticipation has already been created. Being a distributor and a sales agent is a job, is a full-time job. And you market the project years before it's being produced. So that's why distributors want to be in on the project at the early stages. A lot of people reach out to distributors once the show is done. And that's why distributors that's don't late. jump in. That's too late. I see. That's a great point. That's a very good point. That's though. a good point. Although I, you know, there are distributors who also say, "Get back to me when it's finished." I guess those are the, those are the distributors. Oh, the rough. Those are the yeah. lazy distributors to steer clear of, or the ones who are like, "Get back to me when it's finished." Don't talk to those <laughs> yeah. distributors. No, because they like right now our distributor. We're at the editing stages but we're like almost done editing our feature film we've had two rounds of comments from the distributor and they know what the market wants it's so, so, yeah. and yeah. it's it's so important and honestly the they're very they're cinephiles they know films they know their 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 craft like and they know this industry and they know films so when they're giving you comments you have to take some leave some but everything they're saying so far is very relevant <clears throat> We're talking about rhythm, we're talking about pertinence, we're talking about a lot of aspects that, and we need that exterior voice to give us opinions before it hits the, the market. For sure. Yeah. And do you find, uh, this is maybe to everybody the question, but when you take a step back and you let somebody else look at your project, because you've been so much into it, uh, I guess it it gives, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Perspective. Um, yeah, it gives a different perspective, but also because we're so much into it, we kind of like uh, lose a bit. Uh, sometimes you don't notice certain things. Yeah, the, I mean, guess that helps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the, because I know you kind of said it and you answered it this way, but that's also something I notice is when you take a step back and you let somebody else, you know, uh, look at it, it gives you, yeah, uh, not a different perspective, but it, it opens your eyes to something you maybe you haven't seen before. I agree. I think there's a fine line, though, because uh, and this is speaking as from the director's perspective. So the director's director's getting notes from the producer, mm -hmm. producer's getting notes from the commissioning producer. There's now the, there's now a distributor involved giving notes. Yeah. So it becomes uh, a quite it's great objectivity and getting getting feedback is is important, but yeah. there's also navigating all those personalities and all those well, subjective sort of like opinions, what right? Anya said before, <laughs> you, you, you always have to, you can't, you, you have to please them, but you have to make sure that you stay true to yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's, but that's a significant amount of work, potentially. That's a lot of energy. Yeah. It's, it's just finding it. I always say like, even when you're a director, like even on set, I'm somebody who loves to work with people. And I always say a good idea can come from anywhere. So I welcome people to share their opinions. And sometimes on set, everybody's giving me their opinions and they're contradicting. And sometimes I have to stop and tell my first AD, mm -hmm. I need to take a step back and find my voice because right now everybody's speaking mm -hmm. at me and I don't know what I want to say anymore. So it's it is the same with, with distributors and broadcasters is reading, sleeping on it, rewatching, taking some, leaving some and making sure that I always have like one rule. I always say, when I don't know anymore, I always say, what is the story that I'm telling? 
what is that one sentence? And I decide that from the beginning of the project. And then when I don't know anymore, even on Hotel Beirut, I would always come back. We don't have time to do like four shots for this scene. And which one do I sacrifice? I was like, what story am I telling? Whose story am I telling? And then it becomes like very clear. And I think we have to do that exercise all the time because we're working on these projects for so long, such long periods, one year development, one year production, six months post, seven, eight, nine, ten, three years. Hmm. So you have to have like that rule, that base rule, that foundation that is very clear from the beginning and come back to it all the time. Cool. Is that some advice that you would give to a young filmmaker too, is to, to, to stay true to your voice? Yeah, stay true to your voice and don't get intimidated because it's easy. And people have opinions, especially in this industry. We're very strong personalities, most of us. Um, mm -hmm. People trying to, I mean, there's a lot of cynicism around the industry now. So how, and it's very difficult. How would you, what would you suggest for people who want to break in now to this or leaving film, finishing film school, film studies at Université de Montréal or film mm -hmm. production at Concordia or Innes? What would you suggest mm -hmm. as a way of to have someone making a living in the industry right now, or even just to start? what to do, how to do it, where to begin. There's no cynicism with me. I, I will, and I know there's a lot in the industry. I cannot go there, but basically embrace the no's, embrace the failures, like go in and knock on doors and go in thinking that you're going to get rejected. And with one of my friends at some point, one year we said, who's going to reach uh, quicker 100 notes, 100 notes. So it was just like, we were like fishing for notes. Wow. We're just like knocking on doors and say, so this is my project. Are you going to say no? Are you not going to say no? Are you going to say no? Are you gonna... And after like the 20th, you're, you're going to get a maybe. You're not going to reach the 100 no. I would say just like, don't listen to anyone. Just listen to your passion, who you are, the stories that you want to tell and embrace the no's, embrace the failures. That's that's a really that's a really healthy way of looking at it, and very rare actually. I don't think my um, ego could take that. <laughs> um, but I so would you at the same time as you're trying to shop an idea, Anya? Would you say that people should just also just start making a film anyway with the technology that's available to people, whether it's an iPhone or these all these vlog little cameras? Would you just say just start filming, doing, or waiting and look no. shopping an idea? doing for sure but not doing it alone mm. so it, this is a village like find your tribe find people who are passionate as passionate about this as you and that have different skill sets find somebody who's really great at stylist like styling people and like maybe they want to be a costume designer find somebody somebody who's really good at artistic direction find somebody that is really great with camera find all these people and do something together. This is the only industry that you cannot do alone, hmm. which is hard and beautiful at the same time. What would you say is the state of the industry now in Canada, in both fiction and documentary? What and what's happening? How would you describe what's happening right now? Both of you, question for both of you. And are you afraid of it, or is it something exciting because there are opportunities, or is it becoming a bit? more difficult to navigate because everything's moving to streaming and terrestrial broadcasters have less money and we could have a conservative government in a couple of years and then that's going to destroy Heritage Canada but all that to say how do you see the industry right now I find that it's uh I, I find that I'm reading the news when it comes out on Facebook or Instagram and oh, people taking screenshots of the news because we can't see the news anymore um, with the laws that Facebook put on. But uh, and I'm uh, it does it does sadden me to see like all these things happening. But, but at the same time, I um, I know that things are evolving, like you said, things are changing and we're adapting to these changes every time there's a new technology that gets presented um to this world basically there is always this uh, this change that happens i think it's a matter of uh first having an idea and then like anya said just going for it and not being scared not waiting follow your gut feeling and then um and and do something about it and if you obviously if it 
you have some times where you don't have money uh, because you have to like, you know, get money and you find it difficult. Well, there's things you could do. I mean, personally, that's what I, it's a long route, but I, I took the commercial route and I, I still have it so that it helps me also um, accumulate some funds so I can afford uh, to having some downtime at some point. So taking on projects that are quicker, smaller, but that I still get excited about, I get them done and then I can afford having a few months to focus on development for another project. So that's, again, it's it's not everybody does this. I, people might say, oh, well, it's, you're, you're kind of like, you know, sacrificing something to do something else, but sometimes it's necessary. It depends on everybody's situation, I think, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me is, of course it's scary. Of course there, there's caution. Um, we're not living in la la land. I mean, <laughs> we see things happening. We see like the the budgets shrinking. I know for documentary, it's it breaks my heart because uh, one of our fellow producers said that in documentary they're buying in by the kilogram right now. So it's not art anymore. It's just a product. It's content. Um, it's content. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that broadcasters try to bring them not all of them are broadcasters amazing uh but i know that some of my fellow producers uh they have to downsize the budget because the broadcasters are pushing them to downsize every line of the budget but then they end up uh being negative at the end of the year so you're jeopardizing their their role and their livelihood and everything their company so that I, I don't like. And that's why it's important to work with producers and create coalitions and create associations. Myself, as Patrick knows, um, and Noah as well, we created the NOAA, the North African Western Asian Lab. So it's an association for people from North Africa and Western Asia. But there's the Black Screen Office, there's the Indigenous Screen Office. And it's working with these people and reminding the broadcasters that no, it's not a sausage that we're making. We need time. We need artists. We need creatives. We need to allow them the time to create. And it's really getting together that solidarity that we're talking about in Hotel Beirut, in another industry. That's our strength. And I don't think that human beings can live without storytelling. We are hmm. storytelling animals. We go through life with stories. We Everything about us is stories. So I don't think filmmaking or or uh, television or shows we saw it during covid there was nothing we all needed what we needed tv we needed to be entertained we needed to hear stories we needed to we needed that to exist so i don't think it's going to die it's just getting together and reminding every institution that there are something that need uh the time the money that it takes to make something of quality um and one thing that scares me is ai honestly it's I look at AI and I'm like, um, are we going to have the same stories? Are we going to have the same people? Like, where is the human, the humanity in all of that? That really scares me. I heard, I think it was yesterday, that SAG and the Writers Guild of America are now introducing in their contract a line that says, needs to be written by a human, needs to be acted by a human, which for me is mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Art, no, it's, oh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean the exactly. fact this, this fact the strike lasted that long was a sign that they were really there was an existential threat to the, to the creative industries, right? And you like just watching something like Indiana Jones, the new Indiana Jones. I mean, he's like they, the AI is they don't need they don't need Harrison Ford. They you mean they, the CG? They, sorry, the CGI. They don't need Harrison Ford. I mean, just mm-hmm. in terms of the technology, they can just use create a Harrison Ford of like forty years ago. They don't need to have him working as an eighty year old anymore. And it's, just, it's crazy. And it's crazy because they're actually using someone and something. It's yeah. not as innocent. It's not the AI was not able to create that out of nowhere. We're using a heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, AI has wiped out like the entire technical writing industry, yeah. like in a, in a flash, for making this without these technologies, which are helpful, but without a, without uh, without soul. Yeah, without yeah. Mm-hmm. No guardrails. Yeah, I think the it's... word is w- without soul because when you when you think about it, you know, I don't think it'll be able to replace those good stories. I mean, you, you the way the way people, I mean, the way it gets 
I don't know. There's a creative process in creating something that uh, AI, for me, doesn't seem to be uh, able to replicate. Right. Um, it sounds like it's it has certain things that can help to make things faster, efficient. But uh, when you're talking creatively, it's I mean I don't know. It's uh, I'm optimistic in the sense where I don't think it'll happen, but I'm happy that people are actually taking a stand and fighting against uh, uh, this particular, I guess, monster that, that could come across, you know? We're crazy. Or we're gonna, or we're gonna learn to use it uh, and mix and make things better. I don't know yet, but- Probably a little bit of both, honestly. Yeah. 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 You've used it a little bit. Yeah, tried. To, to help you write some stuff. Oh, tried. traitor, traitor. <laughs> no, no, it's, no, it's no. for, for um, just just for something very technical, I think. Yeah, not for not creative. No, no, it can't. It doesn't replace uh, artistic, artistic, you know, personal, intimate, artistic work for sure. Not absolutely not. But for some technical writing or letter writing. Le letter writing. <laughs> well, I, you know, <laughs> at, at at some point, it um it might mean that some people who are not very good end up getting filtered out because they can be replaced by AI. And that's kind of sad, but I wonder if that's like I'm I, I'm, I'm fearful for myself in case I'm in the group that gets filtered out. What specifically about what do you think? No. AI? I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that AI can create. I mean, we're talking about right. trying to create art. You guys are speaking about having intimate, you know, voices. But it can it can replicate art really well. But right, but I don't think it can create, create something new. And it, can, and it can't create. I don't think the personal stories of people, like the intimate details right. of people's lives right, and. Right. Uh, of storytelling. That's why. That's another reason why the Hotel Beirut thing is is uh, kind of genius because you not only are you guys a tribe making the film, but there's um, a built-in audience for it. Like um, there's it's you, you, the riches are in the niches. You know, you're 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 going straight to people who who are really going to love this story. You're yeah. bringing a story directed just for them. And I think it's it's harder to mimic documentary, and you're using documentary elements in fiction. So. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's hard, like for if we're getting into this whole scary post-apocalyptic AI discussion. I don't know. I don't know how AI. I don't know how AI can, this, uh, how AI can create discussion. documentary pitches, for like example. I don't. It's impossible because mm. you're not. It's right. I don't know. Yeah. Yesterday I watched a video uh, AI predicting the next four hundred years. <laughs> oh no! Oh dear. And it it was it was scary. I mean, <laughs> I had all the decades and what was happening in every decade. And when are oh. we going to the moon? When are we coming back? And it, it was scary, but I, I think I think we need to, like the nose, somehow we need to embrace it and find a way to make it work for us. Yeah. I don't know what that is yet. I don't think anybody one, knows. One, one thing, though, I, I, I don't know. It's maybe just a feeling I have, but when I hear that a story comes from a person written or directed or, or a true story, uh, there's the story that I've fallen in love with, but there's also the person that created that story. And so if I, if I, if let's say one day a film is created totally by AI, um, I don't know if I'll have the same connection with the film because I'm like, I won't believe in the film. I'll be like, oh, it's not. But when I know that a film comes from somewhere that is emotional for someone, I find that this actually adds to, connection. that's me. That, yeah, there's a better connection when I watch a film. It's not just purely entertainment. It's also because, okay, well, you know, and I research that person. I research on, you know, why, where this come from. And, and and when you know that it's, you know, it takes a mountain to make a film, you appreciate it even more, I find. So I think it'll, uh, you know, if that would to happen, as as excellent as the film could be, I think you're still missing that that element. Uh, I, I totally agree. I think that's so, so relevant, what you're saying, Pat. And for if anyone listening is uh, an emerging filmmaker that's one question that will always come on the table um, from whether you're a director or a producer the one question that will always come is why are you the one telling the story why is it you why you why now so and that is what you're talking about is like the personal connection to the story how you're linked to the story how and it's like for food right we have all these the food today and when you know it's like grandma recipe or made by this big chef nah, 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 you don't eat it you don't enjoy it the same way so maybe that's mm -hmm. 
That's the true. soothing part, Patrick, that you said that humans, um, when it's a personal, it hmm. cannot be replaced. I like that. You know, it's like going to a restaurant versus getting getting food at the vending machine. You know, exactly. So that's a right. very good connection. So <laughs> AI is a vending machine. That's it. I like that's that. I think we solved it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, it's been an hour. It's been really nice of you to spend time with us. Fantastic. Um, I'd love Thank to you. talk for another hour, but I know I want to respect your time and uh, let you go. Do you well, have any final you. thoughts? Um, maybe uh, pearls of wisdom that you want to share and put out into the world? Don't give up. Just don't give up. If this is your passion, <laughs> just go for it. I know it's easy to be scared, but don't be scared. Just do it. We need your voices. We need your stories. We need we need human stories to mm -hmm. exist beautifully. It's very encouraging. We'll say, we'll we'll say. Really appreciate you guys taking yeah. the time to talk with us. Thanks so Thank much, you guys. So much. Pleasure for you lovely. guys. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Ciao, guys. Take care.